The word gospel has been muddled and confused for centuries through idioms and cliches like, that's the gospel truth, he's a gospel preacher, and obey the gospel, we've lost our focus on what the word gospel actually means. If we're to obey and preach this truth, we should first home in on what the word itself means. From there, we can build out to a clearer understanding of what I ought to do as a gospel believer. Let's study together to learn what is the gospel. Welcome to Where There is Hope. Here we offer inspiration and encouragement from the Bible. With Travis Renfro, I'm John Lindsay. We're glad you're here. So in this episode, John, we're talking about what is the gospel. And so we're going to start with the root of that word. And it comes from a Greek word, uh, which I'm going to try to pronounce as best I possibly can. Uh, but if you're into those sorts of things, it's Strong's G2098. And the word is euangelion, which literally means good news or good tidings. So where's the first place that we see this in Scripture? Matthew 4.23. And what does that say? And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every instance or every every disease and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. All right. So the first time we see this word is actually being used uh, in reference to what Jesus is doing. So Jesus is the one bringing this good news. Um, it's being proclaimed, which to me kind of carries the idea of a herald or a public crier. You, if you remember like in some of those older uh, plays or, or movies that are period pieces from the 1400s, 1500s, you had the guy on the, mm-hmm. on the corner of the street being the town crier. Mm-hmm. And he would call out news. So sort of like that. Um, this good news in particular is about a kingdom. And there is a similar Hebrew word, uh, shemeh, uh, which is similar, tidings or news. Um, Also the idea of listen. So similar sort of thing. One of the things I thought of, and maybe it's because we're recording this after the Christmas season and I heard the song on, you know, North Pole Radio a thousand times, but I thought of the song, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, In Luke chapter 2, in verse 10 through 11, it's sort of what that uh, song refers to. Mm-hmm. Says, and the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. So, John, if I asked you to provide me an example of what, or provide me a definition of what gospel means to you, how would you define that as best you can? Um, I would say that, I don't know about means to me, but the way that I interpret it is it's the good news that Christ has died for our sins, has been resurrected, and has given us hope of eternal life, and has forgiven us of our sins. I think it's great. And the last episode we did was on the church, and we talked about, you know, when when did we start seeing the word church being used more? It's used a couple times in the Gospels, but mostly 
it's used in the book of Acts, and that's because it's after Jesus' resurrection. That's when the church is established. That's when, you know, the, the understanding of kingdom has changed. So when we talk about gospel, you know, that's, that's the message. That's the good news is that there is this new kingdom coming or this new kingdom that has already come. And what we are doing now is sharing that good news with other people. Think about if you were in, if you were the, the subjects living in Jerusalem prior to Jesus, what's your state of being? How's your everyday life? Um, you're living under Roman rule. Um, and if you're a Jew, then you're living under Jewish rule, under Roman rule. Mm-hmm. Um, like a government with inside a government. Um, and your, your uh, king is whoever the emperor or the, you know, the Romans, if I can say it that way. Yeah, so you're not in charge. No, it, it's, not at all. It's certainly not a democracy like we're used to. Um, you know, you, we may not always like all of our elected leaders, but we get to choose them uh, collectively. But they didn't get to do that. They were being occupied uh, by a foreign entity. Um, it was probably more distasteful for them because the foreign entity was not one that shared their their religious beliefs. So here are these Jews, like you said, the Jews are, are living under Jewish rule while being ruled by the, the Romans, who were definitely not God's people. So it's a really difficult place for them to be physically, um, you know, in some ways financially because of the taxes that are paid to Caesar and all of that. So when I'm telling you there's good news of a coming kingdom, if you were a Jew living there in Jerusalem in that time, what would you anticipate the good news being? What's this kingdom going to be about? Um, the, the, a new king. Do you, do you mean just like what were they hoping for? Yeah, that's, that's yeah, they were hoping for the, uh, the Jewish king who would come and make Israel the ruling nation over the whole world. Right. We're going to kick the Romans to the curb. And we're going to rule ourselves again. It's going to be just like in the glory days of King David and King Solomon. And everything's going to be great. And that's not exactly what they get. They think maybe that might be who Jesus is. Look at Matthew chapter 4, verses 24 through 25. And speaking of Jesus, it says, So his fame spread throughout all Syria. They brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. So there's large groups of people from all sorts of places, very, very different sorts of places. And the message that they're hearing or what they think they're seeing and what they think is coming is liberation from the Romans. But what is Jesus actually bringing them? Liberation from sin and death. Exactly. Because spiritually, they're not enslaved to Rome. Spiritually, they're enslaved to sin. And the real enemy is not Rome any more than it was Egypt or Assyria or Philistia or Babylon in their history. The real enemy has always been sin. And they've they've lost sight of that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, verses 24 and 26, or 24 through 26, 
says, Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God, he here being Jesus, when he delivers the kingdom to God after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. How are sin and death related, John? Sin brings death. And how do we know that? What do we? What's what's a passage passage where we would read that? Genesis three. Yeah, I mean, when death first enters the scene, is because sin entered the scene yeah. first, um, and that's echoed you know throughout Scripture. Um, it's echoed in Romans and in six twenty three. Um, so lots of places in that that comes about. So Jesus is bringing liberation. So again, look at 1 Corinthians 15 and a few verses before that, verses 20 through 22. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has also come the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. So they're going to be freed, but they're going to be freed from sin and death, not from the Romans necessarily. Uh, Rome eventually will fall because that's what kingdoms do. But it wasn't God's purpose. It wasn't God's plan to knock Rome over and just let the, uh, Israel be its own autonomous state again. They're given the option here. This is the good news of this coming kingdom. And entrance to this kingdom is optional. John, is that fairly unique as far as kingdoms go? Um, a, a little bit, I guess, yeah. Um, it, you could always choose to die <laughs> no, yeah, if you yeah, didn't want to become. <laughs> yeah. Um, Rome didn't come in and ask permission. Right. And they didn't come in and ask for, you know, if everyone was okay with being part of Rome now. Um, that's not how it went. But with Jesus' kingdom, Jesus comes in power. But he comes in, but he also comes offering choice. You don't have to submit to Jesus right now. You don't have to admit and name him Lord right now. I'm emphasizing that because things are going to change as far as that goes. But as far as how you live your life, you certainly have that choice. That's what free will gives us. It's one of the unique things about um, Christianity is it's totally in our hands. We can go and be as Christ-like as we want, we can go and be as worldly as we want. And God says, that's your choice. But, as my wife has very famously told our kids multiple times, choices have consequences. So Jesus comes as this king, and, and the gospel has been is announced that this kingdom is coming. I want to look at a little bit of, of Jesus as the king and consider his origin. Uh, John, if you don't mind, read from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end, on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. All right, thank you for reading that. So in that passage, there's a whole lot of what sounds like governmental talk that, I mean, does literally say that the government shall be upon his shoulder. He's called a prince and the prince of peace. 
He says, at the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. There's a whole lot of language right there that, that sounds like a governmental in, entity or a kingdom. And so when we think about Jesus as king, this is one of those first um, or one of those really famous passages from the prophets that looks forward to that. And another one is Daniel chapter 7. And Daniel chapter 7 and verses 13 through 14, I'll read this one, says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So if there's this coming kingdom, then it's, obviously that there, it's obvious that there must also be a coming king. And so when Jesus came, and it would, as we read in Matthew, that you know, he was proclaiming the kingdom, that should have been an echo of what the Jews knew from the Old Testament, from the prophets, Isaiah, and from Daniel. And they should have expected it. Yeah, and I think so often we, uh, I, I think we know this, they were looking for an earthly king, um, and that's clearly not what he came to do. Yeah, you know, if you go all the way back to when Israel first got kings, so you finish the book of Judges, and that period of Israel's history ends with... Um, with the writer saying, at that time, there was no king in Israel, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And then after that, Israel gets kings. And at that, even in that time, as there were physical earthly kings, they weren't really the sovereign rulers that, mm-hmm. that they kind of, sometimes they thought that they were. Mm-hmm. What were. Who was really king, even in the book of First and Second Kings? Who was really the king of Israel? God. Yeah, always. Uh, and in fact, when you consider if there was a prophet that was uh, active then or a priest who was, who was serving, then really the king was second or third in, in command in Israel at that time. So yeah, they, there had been kings before, and that's probably what most of them anticipated now. And clearly what most of them anticipated now. And when we say that, it's not necessarily being critical. I think the apostles thought the same thing. You know, the the ones who were walking with Jesus and hearing his teaching on a daily basis, they also failed to understand. And if we walked with Jesus uh, ourselves, we would have failed to understand too. It was sort of new territory to consider this eternal kingdom uh, in this way. And so their minds weren't tuned to that, and I think that's understandable. Even even in the time of the judges, whenever they the people kind of, um, vote, if I can say it that way, and they want a king. After God has said, "No, I'm your king," they want a king so they can be like everybody else. And um, anyway, that whole action God's not pleased with, and He's kind of like, "You want someone to represent me instead of having just me." And you can see God's hurt in that. Um, so to see the culmination of all this, and to see that God is that king. And not only is he the king, but he is bent to the people's will and put himself in the flesh so they can see, I've always been here, mm-hmm. but 
but now I'm your king. And you can actually see, you know, my physical presence before you because you don't seem to understand that I was always there, you know. Yeah, I think that, that's very well put. Um, the manifestation of Jesus, the word becoming flesh, I guess as maybe finally drove the point home for them, even then it took his resurrection. But maybe that finally drove the point home that God was in control and God was their king. I want to read a passage from Ephesians chapter 1 um, that might sound a little odd in this, in this um, study, but I'm considering Jesus' ascent to the throne. And so in Ephesians 1, beginning in verse 15, says, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having your eyes and of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which you were called. He has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance and in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And that's a, that's a really long reading. And partly I blame Paul because one of it's a part of it's a really, really long sentence and I couldn't find a good place to start. Um, but, that talks about how, how did Jesus get placed in this uh, position of authority? John, who put Jesus in this position? Uh, it says that God raised him to the uh, right hand, to his right hand in the heavenly places. Yeah. Raised him from the dead and seated him at, Perfect. at his uh, right hand. Yeah, and it's so so important. We talk about establishing the kingdom. What what is so important? What has changed? And that is that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. There is no more important moment in Scripture. Uh, his death is if it's if the resurrection is one, the death is one a. But the resurrection is the thing that that changed the game um, and makes Christianity so unique and gives us the promise of eternal life. And this is the good news, like you talked about. This is the good news. This is what changes everything. This is what brings the kingdom into, into power, is that Jesus has been raised and set at the right hand of the Father. In Revelation 19.16, it says, On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So when we say gospel, a lot of times we think of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, I think... You know, having gone through this study, uh, my own now, I think those gospel writers as being heralds of the king, the mm -hmm. coming king, yep. sort of changes the way that I consider them, I think. Um, John, why are the gospels so long? Why don't they just say Jesus is king? Um, because you need context. If I don't know who Jesus is, if I don't know what he did, if I don't understand the Old Testament and the, the prophecies about him, then... You know, just telling me that somebody's king is like, okay, is he king for me? What does that mean to me? You know, you need all the, the context. Yeah, that context is what 
helps you understand it. And, and you know, we talked about it. It's difficult to understand because they were anticipating and thinking about earthly kingdoms and earthly rulers. And so Jesus has this conversation near the very end of his earthly life before his resurrection. Um, he has this conversation with Pilate. And Pilate is the sort of local leader of the Roman government where Jesus is. And the back and forth is about whether or not Jesus is a king. And I want to read a few verses here. So Pilate entered his headquarters. I'm sorry, I should have noted that. I want to read from John 18, beginning in verse 33. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. So we talk about context and why, why the gospel writers can't just say Jesus is king. Because it's not a kingdom that they even would have recognized without the work that the gospel writers did. There's another passage in Matthew 26 in verse 53 where Jesus says, um, Do you not think I cannot appeal to my Father and will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? And again, it's this, this supernatural thing that they can't understand. Uh, and it, um, I get it. Like I, I get why the apostles couldn't understand it. But if the apostles didn't understand it or the gospel writers didn't understand it fully until after the resurrection, what hope would we have had? to understand I like the way that you've put this that they're heralds because that's really what, what it is they're trying their best to convey the gospel um, you can't really boil the gospel down to you know one sentence you know I tried to earlier but even then you need understanding of different things and mm-hmm. Um, and the times that we see, you think in the book of Acts, the different conversions, it wasn't like someone said one thing and then all of a sudden that person was just like, oh, okay, I understand. Usually it took some kind of a sermon, um, you know, a, a more lengthy description of things. And today is no different. I mean, when people are truly converted to understanding the gospel and obeying it, it is a long-term process. It is... I don't expect anyone goes in, you know, obviously people don't go in from ground zero, walk into a church service, and immediately have the sort of faith that, that makes them want to become obedient to the gospel and, and submit to Jesus. Like, if, if that's what happened to you, that's shockingly. Um, that's shocking to me because there's, it's so... Uh, the thing about the gospel is it's simple to understand, but it's also complex. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. I mean, if you go from just nothing, no, no understanding at all, and someone says Jesus is king, king of what? Yeah. How is he king? Why is he king? You mm-hmm. know, there, there are a lot of questions to consider. One more thing I want us to consider before we close this out is what does this mean? And this is really a very personal question you have to ask yourself. If the gospel means good news, there's a new kingdom coming, there's a new authority in place, and everything has changed. What does that mean for you? And John, I mean, 
I know that's kind of, this is a tough question to ask you off the cuff, but what does it mean for you that, it, that this is all true, that Jesus is the king and that he is reigning and he has authority? How does that affect you? Um, well, one thing I think about is that one day I will meet him and have to answer to him. Um, and of course, I think every person on the earth can say that we are not worthy. Um, but that's part of the, part of the gospel, right? Mm-hmm. Is that he has covered that gap. Um, but I also want to be able to, because of what he's done, I love him and I want to serve him. Yeah, I think that's that's so well put. Um, there's a passage I want to read just real quickly from Philippians chapter 2. And I'm just going to read a few verses here, beginning in verse 9. Therefore God has hi- highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is a time coming where regardless of whether or not you chose to submit yourself to King Jesus, that you will recognize that he is in, he is in power and that it is his authority that you are under. And so the, I think what is incumbent upon us is to understand that now and to do something about that now. Bow your knee to Jesus now. Submit yourself to him now. Confess him as Lord now. Obey him now and start working out your own salvation, as it says uh, later earlier in this passage. You know, it, these are truths. This gospel is truth. And if it's truth, then you have to figure out what you're going to do with it. And we just encourage you to do that as so- sooner rather than later. You made me think about when a king comes. He, he talked about the Romans. When the Romans came, they would say, hey, we're in charge now. This is the, you know... Where you're now the Roman country, this is your new Roman king, uh, emperor. Uh, we need taxes. You know, they they do their taxes or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you, as a citizen, have two choices: you can submit and do what they need you to do, be a good citizen, or you can rebel and most likely be beheaded mm-hmm. and kicked out of the kingdom um, or you know terminated. Um, so I think that I in me in. In my opinion, the same thing applies here. Um, so, And I, I think back to what you said just a minute ago. The difference here is no one, when the Romans came in, said, I'm going to obey the Romans because I love them, because yeah. of all the good they've done for me. But with Jesus, it's different. Thank you for joining us where there is hope. It is our goal to share the hope and joy that we find in scriptures with you. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave us a review. You can email us at wtihope at gmail.com. Lamentations 3.24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him.